Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, April 29th, 2019. Broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. On today's show, I will share some final thoughts on the NFL Draft, which concluded on Saturday. I'll also get into the more important stuff, like the NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs, as you know, both the Celtics and Bruins still alive. I'll talk about that. And by now, I'm sure you're sick of me talking about Chris Sale. Red Sox pitcher Chris Sale. Well, I'm sick of talking about Chris Sale too. But until he gives us a signature Chris Sale outing, the Red Sox 2019 nightmare will continue. And that nightmare is continuing after losing a couple games at home to Tampa Bay. Over the weekend. And don't worry, I will not be giving away any Game of Thrones spoilers on today's show. All of it, though, presented by DraftKings. Play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C, to play for free with your first deposit. And by now, you're probably bored with your fantasy baseball league. You know, you draft every year with the same group of people. For 162 games, you have the same team, unless you can pull off some type of crazy trade, which you're probably not going to do. So you have the same team, the same lineup every single day. Aren't you bored with that? Well, at DraftKings, you can have a different lineup every single night to keep it fresh and win cash prizes. Again, a different lineup, a different team every single night, and you can play for free by signing up using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. Welcome to the show on this Monday, April 29th. Coming off the, I would say, I am coming off probably the worst sleep of my life. The worst sleep of my life. I could not sleep last night. If I did, it's like one of those sleeps you wake up every two hours because, you know, you're seeing the White Walkers in your in your nightmares. Um, you know, you, you're thinking about Game of Thrones and the episode that you saw on Sunday night. And I'm not I'm not going to give any spoilers, but watching the Battle of Winterfell, I just kind of feel bad for people that that don't watch Game of Thrones. Now, I'm not going to knock you if you don't watch it because I was I jumped on board late. I actually just recently got caught up um, before this season began. I, I got caught up watching it. So I, I was late to the party on Game of Thrones. It wasn't too long ago. I was on social media on Sunday nights wondering what the hell everybody was talking about. But since I did jump on board, and since I did get caught up, and since I do watch it now, I did watch last night on Sunday night, I did watch the Battle of Winterfell, and I just kind of feel bad for those who don't watch it, because it was one of the more intense hours of television watching that I've ever had, and I think the build-up to it alone, see, the first couple episodes this season, I think people were a little disappointed because it was kind of was kind of slow. They had some fireside chats that ran a little too long for everybody's liking. But I think there was a reason for that. And that's why I didn't necessarily criticize it too much because the, the people who who run this show, I think they they know what they're doing. They're pretty good at it, right? We'll give them some credit. They're pretty good at it. And I think they wanted this slow build up to um what what turns out to be just Really a historic night of television when you talk about last night's episode in the Battle of Winterfell and really it may be just getting started as we learned. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but uh, it's crazy to think this is the last season after what we just witnessed last night. Maybe they have a movie at some point. I wouldn't rule that out. Or or maybe they end up finding a way to have an extension of... Of this show with, with a whole different show? I, I I don't know. But I did not sleep at all last night on Sunday night. So here I am coming off the worst sleep of my life. But I am here to analyze everything that we saw over the weekend in the world of sports. And we saw the NFL draft come to an end on Saturday. And man, I just, I had to stay off social media 
most of the weekend because it's just nonstop NFL draft. It's nonstop NFL draft. I don't even know any of these guys. I know I know nothing about 99% of the guys that everybody's talking about on Friday and Saturday from rounds two through seven. Now, you know, round one, and especially the beginning of round one on Thursday night on primetime, which I reacted to last week on the second podcast of the week on Friday morning. I reacted to Thursday night's primetime round one. So I'm not going to really go into that. But once you get into Friday and Saturday, especially when you get into Saturday, right? Rounds four through seven. Do I really care about rounds four through seven in the NFL draft? No, but so many people on my Twitter feed do. And it's exhausting. And it's just, I'm, I end up going on Twitter, reading a, a, about a bunch of, football players that I know nothing about and and I just get me to the regular season get me to training camp but I I do have to I guess quickly go over what the Patriots did um as we know as I told you and reacted to on Friday's podcast last week they drafted uh, the wide receiver with the final pick of the first round and I didn't know if they were going to end up trading him in round two or or in round three, or, or who knows, on Saturday in rounds four through seven, they ended up keeping them. But after that, so in total, the Patriots drafted 10 players. And the, the sexy description for what the Patriots did in this draft, according to you know everybody who covers the team, is that they drafted for talent this year rather than need. They drafted the best available players rather than need. Whatever. I I mean, honestly, I I don't like to spend too much energy really breaking down why the Patriots did certain things in the draft because once the the minute the draft ended, it was like, you know, whoa, they, they just signed an undrafted free agent. Oh, they signed another undrafted free agent? Oh, they signed another undrafted free agent? So they, they signed a number of free agents right after the draft. Um, but they drafted 10 players overall. We talked about the wide receiver on Thursday night with the number 32 overall pick, the last pick in the first round. But in the second round, I thought it was interesting. They traded up to get a cornerback that they co- coveted, obviously, in Jawan Williams. Uh, so they get a cornerback. They get some secondary help. And then I'm just, you know, notable things here. They took a quarterback in the fourth round, Jarrett Stidham from Auburn. You know, I, I, I don't know much about him. I watched some highlights after they drafted him. You know, you want to see what this kid's about. You know, he can throw down the field. He can run a little bit. <laughs> I mean, are they even going to keep him? I have no idea. I have no idea. People, you know, are we going to sit here and analyze him as as the guy who replaces Tom Brady at some point? I think we're wasting our time if we do that because we have no clue. Le- again, get me to training camp. But I'm I'm more focused on what Tom Brady's going to do next year and even the year after that than I am what this kid from Auburn is going to do. I mean, for all we know, they trade him. I, you know, I have no idea. For all we know, we, they just cut him. I, I don't know. Um, but then in the fifth round, the Patriots traded up four spots to take another punter. They take this kid, Jake Bailey. Now, they just signed Ryan Allen to a one-year deal. So I don't know what they're doing with the punting position. But, hey, they drafted for talent. That's what they drafted for. Not necessarily need. They didn't need another punter, but they saw a talented one there. And they knew Ryan Allen's under a one-year deal, so they took the talent rather than the need. And I told you the Patriots then signed a number of free agents after the draft. From an NFL perspective around the league, I think the big story was obviously Kyla Murray. And then it became, you know, when Kyla Murray goes one overall Thursday night to Arizona, the story then becomes, well, what? What's Arizona going to do with Josh Rosen? And I told you on Friday, I didn't think they would get a second-round pick. I didn't think Arizona would even be able to get a second-round pick for Josh Rosen because they lost all the leverage in the world when they officially took Kyla Murray. But what we found out during the second round, they did trade Josh Rosen. They traded Rosen to Miami. Rosen will be a Dolphin, and the Cardinals got a second-round pick. Uh, they got a late second round pick, 62 overall, and a fifth rounder in 2020. So 
the return, not terrible for Arizona. I'm sure they would have liked a first-round pick, but they, they certainly weren't getting a first-round pick. I, look, I was wrong. I didn't think they'd get a second-round pick. I mean, technically, you look at it, it's like, eh, you know, late second round, early third. Not as good as they wanted, but maybe better than I thought they would get based on the leverage that they lost once they drafted Kyla Murray. But, um... That's the NFL draft. I am glad it's over. I do not sit here. I don't do mock drafts. I don't know most of these guys. You know, I see some people when a, when a certain guy's taken in, he's like the the Patriots took a cornerback in the seventh round, and they took a kid Ken Webster, cornerback in the seventh round, the only seventh round pick which is the last round of the draft. And I saw people who cover the Patriots, multiple people who cover the Patriots going, oh, this is a guy I selected. This is a guy I took in my mock draft for the Patriots to get. And I'm looking at that going, how did you pick that? How did, <laughs> like, I don't even, like, I don't even know if I'm really impressed by that more than I'm just confused as to how you ended up when you do a mock draft before the draft, right? <laughs> 32 teams, seven rounds, you ended up nailing the Patriots' seventh-round pick. Like, how do you how do you do that? Is that is that luck? Are you looking at someone else's mock draft to think, well, this is where somebody like where does this come from? If so, if you did a mock draft and you said, oh, in the seventh round, the Patriots are going to take a cornerback, Ken Webster. How did you get that? I don't know, and I'm not knocking you for it. I'm, I think I'm more confused than anything. Uh, can you see into the future? Because I, I, I think you got to get a little lucky, don't you, to get that right? <laughs> That's not, is that just, does that show that you're a supreme mock drafter? I, I don't, I'm confused more than anything else. Like, is there somebody else that did a mock draft that said the Patriots, you know, and they broke down maybe a handful of players, the Patriots would be interested in the seventh round? Or is there like inside information that, that, these beat writers have with the team that they're getting this information from that they could take this kid in the seventh round. I have no idea. I have no idea. Again, I don't know that this impresses me more than it really confuses me, but I do not do mock drafts. Um, I realize the people who cover the teams, they have to, you know, they need content. It's all about content, but all the NFL draft content was making me dizzy on social media all weekend to the point where I couldn't even go on. I didn't know what people were talking about. And I assume, I guess it's similar to the people who don't watch Game of Thrones who have no idea what people are talking about on social media on Sunday night. Hey, you know what? If you're upset with people spoiling, and I'm not going to spoil it for you on this show, but but you should know if you go on social media on Sunday night, you should know that somebody's going to spoil. You're going to find out what happened on Game of Thrones. So if you go onto Twitter on Sunday night and and you read a spoiler tweet and you get all upset about it and you rant and rave, I don't blame the person who spoiled it. I blame you for going on Twitter. If you can't watch Game of Thrones, if you're into it, if you don't want to spoil it, don't go on Twitter on Sunday night. How difficult is that for you? If that's so difficult, like if you're so addicted to Twitter that you have to go on on Sunday night, while you, you love a certain show that you don't want to spoil it for, if you're that addicted to Twitter, you have a problem. You should seek help. I, I'm not going to knock the person who spoiled it. I'm going to knock you for not having the type of self-control where you can't just not click the Twitter app on your phone. You click something else. Do something else. Watch something else. I don't know. But... Don't blame the person who spoiled it. Now, if I jumped on this show and I just said, hey, here's what happened last night during the Battle of Winterfell, like, okay, then you got to beef with me and and you could criticize me. I'm not going to do that for you, I, I re- but you get my point. Like, Twitter is where people go to vent. It's where people go to react. If you don't want to see the reaction or see people vent or see the spoilers, don't go on Twitter. Like, that should be rule number one for you. If you're one of these people who DVR'd Game of Thrones and you couldn't watch it, don't go on Twitter. If you did and it got spoiled for you on Twitter, I blame you for going on Twitter more than I blame the person who spoiled it for you. All right? That's the way I feel. But I'm so glad the NFL draft is over because um, sometimes I do like going on Twitter to get my news, to get my sports news. 
my breaking news. And um, I just can't do it during the NFL draft because it's a bunch of stuff that I'm reading about college football players that I know nothing about or uh, players that I don't even care about. And that's over with, and I'm, and I'm glad. What's not over are the playoffs, and that really is the most important thing. And I don't mean to bury the lead, but um, here in Boston, we are focused on the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs. And when you look at both the Bruins and the Celtics, you know, again, I think the top story here is the Celtics. You know, we go back and forth. What team? I know the Bruins, the Bruins right now are favored to win the Stanley Cup. They're the favorite to win the cup because you got both one seeds in the West and the East eliminated. Uh, you even got the Capitals, the defending champs, eliminated. And the Bruins, their road to the Stanley Cup Finals is getting through the eight-seed Blue Jackets and possibly having to go through either Carolina or the Islanders, which is, and right now it's looking like it could be Carolina because... Uh, Carolina is up on the island as 2-0. So, I mean, the road to the Stanley Cup final, if you're the Bruins, is like you need to take advantage of this. Now, the Bruins lose game two to Columbus. They lost game two on Saturday night uh, in double overtime. Panarin had a game for Columbus, two goals, and then assisted on the game winner in double OT. Uh, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll get to that game. I'll get to my reaction on that game. But I think the top story with the two teams in this town in the playoffs is really the Celtics, and it's because of how they're dominating right now. They swept Indiana. They swept the Pacers, which should not be such a surprise. I don't mean to make that sound like we should all be shocked, and um, that's why it's the biggest story. I, I, I think that you see the sweep, and now you see them go into Milwaukee a Sunday afternoon, game one. And they don't just beat the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee in Game 1 on Sunday afternoon. They whoop the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 1 on Sunday afternoon. And they did it in an impressive defensive fashion in which they just completely shut down the Greek freak. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Am I, now, I know we're going to get into a situation where we have to say his name multiple times, and some people might not like when you call him the Greek freak. I call him the traveling freak because Giannis, and I've been saying this about him for a couple years now. Really, I really went into it last year when the Celtics and the Bucks played in the first round, and the Celtics won that series in seven games. Giannis is, I call him the traveling freak because... He travels every single time he goes to the basket. Now, you could say that about a lot of guys in the NBA. You could say that arguing about traveling in the NBA is a waste of everybody's time because everybody travels. Well, a lot of guys travel. They don't always call it. You know, you see these little uh, Euro steps or the step back threes. You know, the popular thing now in the NBA is they take that extra step to make sure when they do take the step back three to make sure it's a three, to make sure they're behind the three-point line. A lot of times you watch that and I'm like, well, that extra step that they took was the third step. That's a travel. They don't call it. You know, you don't see the travel called as much as it should. And in a way, it's because of that, it's a foolish thing to sit here and argue about. But Giannis Antetokounmpo is somebody that I call the traveling freak because he literally takes that third step, sometimes even a fourth step, when he drives to the basket and they do not call it. They don't. And so how do you battle that in a series? How do you battle Antetokounmpo's athleticism, uh, his dominance because of his athleticism? How do you battle that? Well, the Celtics battled that right away, and they made that evident in the opening minutes of Game 1 on Sunday is that they were going to get right up in his mug, right up in the perimeter. They were not even going to let... They they said to the refs, you know what? You guys aren't... You're not going to call him for traveling, so we're going to prevent him from even thinking about traveling because we're going to get up in his face up at the perimeter and we're not even going to let him get to the basket. They did that. You know, I I saw the post-game analysis. They called it a wall they put up. I don't know if they put up a wall. They gave him a little help at times, but Al Horford did a fantastic job early on and I think set a defensive tone for the Celtics. Um, Al Horford, his defense alone in this game... I think was the biggest story. And if he's going to play defense like that on Antetokounmpo here in this series, and I keep saying Antetokounmpo because I kind of feel good about it because I think I'm getting it right. 
And when you get it right, you're in a when you when you're in a groove with that, it's like you know, give me a heat check, Antetokounmpo. I'm oh, I'm on fire with his name right now. I can't get it wrong. I hope I got. Am I getting it right? I think I got it right. At least I'm telling myself I got it right. Antetokounmpo. Let's keep let's keep you know rolls off the tongue now, but. Al Horford did a fantastic job, and uh, Anthony DeCumpo had 22 points. 22 points, but it felt like he only had seven, didn't it? Didn't it? It felt like he only had seven points. Now, he kind of came alive in the fourth quarter, but the Celtics weren't letting him do what he wanted to do, and what he wants to do is drive to the basket, take that third step, travel his ass off, and look like this athletic Greek freak that everybody raves about, that people put him on this pedestal, and what does he average? 27, 28 points a game? Okay, I get it. Antetokounmpo is... He is one of the top players in the NBA. I'm acknowledging that for you. But is he overrated because of his athleticism? I ask you that. Is he overrated because of his athleticism? Look, there's going to be a couple games in this series that he's going to go off. I think he, you know, he can shoot. He, he's going to be able to get it. They're going to find him his shots. The team's going to make adjustments in which they battle the way Horford's playing defense. Brad Stevens will have to come back the next game, make some adjustments the way uh, they want to make sure that Horford can play the type of defense and shadow him. I mean, I think that this whole series is going to really be about how Al Horford's going to play on on Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's what this is coming. That's what this is going to come down to. When the Greek freak sits, Horford sits. When he comes back out, Horford comes back out. That's the way you got to do it. For the most part, that's what they did. And they completely shut the door on this insane theory that a lot of the Celtics trolls on Twitter were talking about how Semi Ojale was going to play this huge role with God and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Shut up. Like, I'm looking at that going, leading into the series, I'm like, really? That's... Is that's the that that's the thing that's gonna help the Celtics win? They're gonna put Semi Ojale, please. I do not need to see Ojale on the court. I don't care what he does defensively. And I'm glad that Al Horford did what he did because and I'm not saying he didn't get any help, Al Horford. He did at times. But for the most part, Al Horford did a fantastic job. And um we don't have to talk about Semi Ojale being on the court for more than eight minutes. And I actually think eight minutes is probably about eight minutes too much. If you told me Ojale was gonna have no minutes, I'd be just fine with that. I do not need to see him on the court. Now, again, Antetokounmpo's gonna have a couple games in this series. But I think what we learned in game one, all right, what we learned in game one is that the Celtics should win this series. They should. The Celtics should win this series, and I'm not saying they should sweep. I'm not even saying they should win in five. I told you last week that I think the Celtics are going to win in seven. You know, will we see Marcus Smart come back for the Celtics at some point? I think maybe late in the series. Will we see Malcolm Brogdon come back from Milwaukee? Probably. I I think they say he's going to miss games one and two. And, And look, that's a tough loss for Milwaukee, but let's not make it sound like Malcolm Brogdon's going to be... Let's not make it sound like Brogdon's the the guy preventing his absence is preventing Antetokounmpo from taking over. Let's not make it sound like that. I, I you know I don't know that he's the ultimate difference maker. And if he does come back, Brogdon, and and maybe that's when Smart comes back and um sort of evens that out a little bit on, on the defensive end. But you know I just think the Celtics are deeper. And with that depth, they're more talented with that depth. And it's as simple as that. I mean, you see it. Jason Tatum, who's, I think, one of the best players on the team, he only had four points. And the Celtics still waxed the Bucks 112-90 to in Milwaukee. Jalen Brown had a nice game, 36 minutes in the starting lineup. Hit a couple of big shots, 19 points. I, I like the way he was shooting with confidence. Um, Gordon Hayward, 13 points, but there were a couple big buckets that he made. You know, that one where he's sort of floating in the lane is one that jumps out to you that was in a big spot. I mean, the Celtics are just deeper. They are right now looking like a team that's on the same page, something that they did not look like all season long. And uh, I don't think there's a lot of people that, based on what we saw in the regular season, I do not think there's a lot of people that thought it would look this good and this dominant and that this team would look look so in sync with they're doing everything, including shutting down the Greek freak, at least in one game. 
All right, at least in one game. Look, he's going to have a couple games in this series, for sure. I'm not sure that those are going to be the games Milwaukee even wins, but I think they'll make some adjustments. They'll get, if, if he can't get to the basket, what Milwaukee's going to do is they're going to make sure he gets some better looks from the outside to take some shots and maybe go off that way. Um, but I think if you're the Celtics, you let him shoot. Uh, you know, I, I think you let him, you know, not don't give him, you know, open looks, but I think that, we know if you watch him, you know what he wants to do. He wants to get to the basket. He wants to take those three, four steps, travel his ass off, and show that athleticism and get to the hoop. He's got that length. You know, he's got the reach. He could take two steps from the three point line, and you know, he he's near the basket. Don't let him do that. Get up in his mug on the perimeter and and slow him down. And that's what the Celtics did. And I think they need to stick with that if he's gonna. If he's going to beat you from the three-point line, then maybe you got to tip your cap for a couple games. But I think what we learned in game one is that the Celtics should win this series. They should win this series. They have enough talent. They obviously have a good enough defensive strategy on Antetokounmpo. And I think they also have to look at it and go, we're playing great defense right now in game one, and we don't even have one of our best defensive players, if not our best defensive player in Marcus Smart. And he could come back. I don't care what they say. I don't care what the Celtics tell you, Smart could come back. In fact, I would put my money that if this series goes six games, which I think it will, six games, and that game six will be, well, let's check out the schedule here. Game game two is going to be tomorrow night, Tuesday night, in Milwaukee. Then they're going to have off until Friday. Game three will be back here at the Garden in Boston. Um... Game three will be Friday night. Game four will be, so they'll have two more days off. So they'll play Friday, then they'll play next Monday, a week from today, at the Garden. That extra day is just foolish, but that's what they're going to do. And then game five, a week from Wednesday in Milwaukee. Game six, a week from this Friday, back here at the Garden. I'm going to circle that one and say that's when Smart comes back. I think that's when Marcus Smart will come back. We will see Marcus Smart on Friday, May 10th, a week from this Friday. He will be playing in that game. That's my that's my timetable. That's my that's my guess. I have no inside information on that. Strictly a guess. I know the Celtics are making this sound like you know, he might not even be back on, unless they make it to the finals. Like, that's how they, that's their tone when they talk about Marcus Smart. I do not believe him. I think it's, a, I think they're playing a little game. Uh, they're playing a little mind game. They want Milwaukee to believe that. And then, boom, Smart returns in game six. And the Celtics are a better defensive team. And it's, if they're a better defensive team than they were in game one in Milwaukee, that's a scary thing for Milwaukee. It is. It's a scary thing for Milwaukee, but Al Horford, that type of defense to go along with 20 points and 11 rebounds, uh, 10 of those 11 rebounds on the defensive end, Kyrie Irving, you know, 26 points, the Celtics are deeper, they're more talented, they should win this series, I said in seven last week, my prediction was Celtics in seven, I'm going to move it up again, I'm going to say right now Celtics win this, I'm, I'm changing it a little bit, I say Celtics win in six, and, and my predictions on the Celtics going into the playoffs were Celtics would get to the East Finals and then they would lose to Philly. That was my prediction. The more I watch Philly, I, I, I think to myself, what was I thinking making that pick? <laughs> really, the more, I, the more I watch the Celtics, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? Why wouldn't I pick the Celtics to get to the NBA Finals? But I think that's why they're the top story because right now the Celtics are playing like that team, like that group, where you look at them and you go, you start to go, who's going to beat the Celtics? Who is going to beat the Celtics? It's not going to, it's not going to be Ben Simmons. I tell you that. And I picked 76ers. I'm already coming off that pick. If that was the Eastern Conference Finals matchup, right now I picked the Celtics over the Sixers. Kawhi, maybe Kawhi Leonard's the only guy that could stop the Celtics. But I don't even know. I still look at the depth there, and I think that the Celtics are just deeper and more talented with that depth. Who could stop the Celtics? Maybe it's just Golden State. That's a battle, though. That is an absolute battle that Golden State's in, and I guess this brings us over to the West. Um, But I guess quickly to wrap up the East, the Celtics, uh, Game 2 will be Tuesday night. 
I'm changing my prediction. I took Celtics in seven. Now I'm taking them in six. I think they win it when they get back home a week from Friday in game six at the Garden. I think they, Celtics in six. Toronto is beating Philly. I'll ch- I think I'm going to change my pick there too. <laughs> Toronto, Toronto, it's just, I'm going to take the Raptors. I, maybe it'll be Celtics and the Raptors. I'm, I'm actually hoping it's 76s now though. I'm hoping it's Philly. I really am. Because I, I don't know what I was thinking with that pick. But Celtics up 101 Milwaukee. Toronto up 101 Philly. Over in the West, Golden State and Houston in an absolute battle. And this has become the James Harden landing spot series. We, right? we are going to be talking about, they're going to drive me fucking bananas with the James Harden landing spot when he takes a shot. Oh, where do his feet come down? Oh, where do the Warriors come? The Warriors are playing a little dirty with that. They know. Look, but I think they're just trying to get in. They're trying to get in his head. Uh, the Warriors can be a little scrappy, a little dirty. You know, Draymond Green. I do not like him. Um, you know, the Warriors have this attitude about them. Kevin Durant has this like new big bad attitude where he's in press conferences like, you know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant. Oh, shut the fuck up. You know, you, who likes, it's just, they're a, they're a hateable team. And mostly because they win. But they, they're doing certain things now to get in Houston's head. Chris Paul gets ejected in the final seconds of the game. They're in Houston's head. Houston is not going to win this series if if they continue to let Golden State run their show between the ears. Right? If they let them get in their head. But that's what Golden State is right now. Steph Curry... You know, his patented little crossover, you step back, big shot late in the game. Is there, Has there ever been a play? I talked about Giannis Antetokounmpo a few minutes ago and how I think he's perhaps, while he is one of the best players in the league, Antetokounmpo, he is overrated in a sense that I think his supreme athleticism gets in people's heads where they think like, wow, the athleticism puts him into a new into a new level, onto a new level. Okay, fine, but I think that athleticism makes him somewhat overrated. Steph Curry, has there ever been a player that is the most dominant big shot artist in the league for a handful of years that is also underrated? Like, can you be maybe the best player in the league and be underrated at the same time? Like, I have... I have some people that I know that they have this argument, top five players in the NBA. And they don't put Steph Curry in the top five. Now, it's kind of a crazy argument because there are so many dominant players in the NBA, right? I mean, you could sit here and name 10 of them before, you know, you could. And it's, so it's a, kind of a weird argument to have. It's almost like you want an argument. So, like, if you want an argument with someone, what you'll do is... You'll ask someone, give me your top five players in the NBA. And you'll get an argument because there's so many there's so many great players that it's like, I mean, you could put 10 guys in the top five, but you only have five. So what five of those 10 do you take? It's a tough, it, you're always going to have an argument with someone. But I, I know people who create this argument and they don't want to put Steph Curry in the top five. And I'm like, how can you not put Steph Curry as a top five NBA player? And they're like, wow, well, you know, there's no argument for it. Steph, because if you're telling me Steph Curry is not a top five player in the NBA, you're telling me that what I've watched over the last five years in the NBA has been a figment of my imagination. Like, it's just an illusion. Steph Curry has not really been dominating. Steph Curry has not really been hitting shots from half court at will. Steph Curry has not been winning NBA championships because of how good he is. You know, these same people will tell me, well, Kevin Durant showed up in Golden State. Well, I get news for you. You know, Kevin Durant, yeah, he's a great player. He's one of the best players in the league. No question about it. But Durant wasn't winning championships until he went to Golden State and teamed up with Steph Curry. People forget that. People forget that Steph Curry won an NBA championship being, you know, a a, a shooter that was hot as a pistol that beat Kevin Durant with Oklahoma City. Okay? And then beat LeBron James. Like, Kevin Durant had to join that team. It wasn't that Kevin Durant with Oklahoma City beat Steph Curry and Steph Curry had to go to Oklahoma City. Kevin Durant had to go to Golden State because Steph Curry kept beating Oklahoma City. So, I mean, 
I, I understand how good of a player Kevin Durant is. He's one of the best players in the league, top three. But Steph Curry, I, I mean, for you to tell me he's not a top five player in the league, you're telling me what I've been watching in the NBA the last five years is not actually even happening. So, um, you see him in another big shot against Houston in game one. He's that good. He's playing injured. He's got the ankle injuries, and he's still the best shooter in the league. And uh, he's not just a Ray Allen type, you know, I'll get open, you give me the ball, and I'll shoot it. He's a point guard. He gets his shot. He's he's a great finisher around the net. Um, you know, he shoots off the dribble like Steph Curry does it all, and he can do it from anywhere on the court. And to not put a player like that in the top five, if you had a top five in your NBA, is is just, you're telling me what I've been watching in the NBA the last five years has not actually been happening. Um, I put a lot of stock into championships, and I do think that, you know, Steph Curry has been a major reason why Kevin Durant has been winning championships. I know Durant has been dominant. I get that. But, you know, don't rule out the fact that Durant joined a superstar squad already in, that was already in progress. Let's not forget that. I'm not trying to knock Durant. I'm just trying to, you know, I don't... It's crazy to think that Steph Curry does not get the credit he probably should for being such a great player. He's must-see TV. He is. And he had another big shot in a big moment in that game against Houston in Game 1 on Sunday, but they're going to keep talking about James Harden. Yeah, I, I think Golden State, they come down in a spot that's elite. Like, you can't continue to try to block his threes and come down in his landing spot. But at the same time, I don't think James Harden does himself any favors by having these ridiculous follow-throughs with his legs. And I think the refs see that, and now I think the refs don't even know what to call. So what they do is they didn't call it at all late in that game. They just didn't call it. In the uh, late late in the game, right? They they went all Stanley Cup playoff refs and uh, NHL refs and just swallowed the whistles. No, I guess they didn't swallow the whistle in overtime. Bruins Columbus and double overtime in game two. I'll get to that, but um, that's gonna be the story. James Harden and his landing spot. Um, Golden State. I think they're trying to get in his head. It's a little dirty. I don't think you should be. You know jumping into his landing spot like that, but at the same time, I think James Harden does exaggerate his follow-through a, a lot. And he travels, too, by the way. I talk about, I have to be fair. Antetokounmpo, the traveling freak, well, James Harden likes to travel as well when he takes that little step back. And uh, maybe Golden State's like, if you're not going to call that, how you know, then, then we're going to take our extra step and, and stand right there in his landing spot. Hey, Golden State's going to win that series. The question will be, who will they play, Portland or Denver? Um, I I have a tough time betting against Portland, seeing the way Lillard's playing, the shots he's hitting. But uh, you got to give credit to Denver. They're the two seed, and they win their game seven over San Antonio. I would say it's Golden State and Portland. And then over the east, Celtics and Toronto, and I already changed my pick there because, you know, I, I look at Kawhi, and I, I don't know why I would even think about betting against him at first, and then I look at the Celtics, and I'm like, how am I going to bet against them? Certainly not going to bet against them against Milwaukee, and uh, wow, Celtics, they are the top story because of how dominant they look so far in these playoffs, and then of course you get to the Bruins, which are the second story in the playoffs in this town in Boston. The Bruins lose game two at home in double overtime on Saturday night, late Saturday night by the way. What did they drop the puck at, like 8.30? It's supposed to be an 8 o'clock start, but um, other stuff, some other stuff going on. They they did they had a nice tribute, you know, credit the Bruins. Nice job by the Bruins for their tribute to the late John Havlicek, who passed away late last week. Uh, a legend in this town, an absolute legend. And obviously the Bruins and the Celtics in the same building. And just, I, I you'll see that with every, you see that with every team, right, in this town. Uh, the way every team in this town has each other's backs, you know, and they always do tributes for players and other organizations. The Bruins did a nice job with their tribute to John Havlicek, but after that, they dropped the puck, I think, at about 8.30. And then um, you had a late night because you had double overtime. And I mentioned early on, Panarin had a big game for Columbus, two beautiful goals. Uh, you know, that one shot from the left side that just beat Tuka's right Skate just snuck through there. 
Then Panarin with an absolute snipe upstairs with a little hesitation that kind of threw Tuca off his off balance. But there was still not a lot of room for Panarin to put that puck upstairs, and he still put it as he stood on the goal line. Um, Panarin's a stud, and then he assisted on the game winner with a shot from the left point. And Duchesne picked up the rebound and put it in. Now, Columbus was on the power play in double overtime. And they were on the power play because Patrice Bergeron got a tripping penalty as he skated around the net and was on the pursuit. Patrice Bergeron, I don't remember feeling this way about him in the playoffs ever. And I say that because I feel like he's not really having a good postseason. Like, and it's kind of jumping out. Look, that was a penalty. I am all for the refs swallowing the whistles in overtime, and I think for the most part they do. We've seen some moments in these playoffs where maybe they haven't late in big spots. Um, I think for the most part they're pretty good about it, though. For the most part, NHL refs are pretty good about letting a lot of stuff go late in playoff games, especially in overtime. This was one that was blatant. Bergie gets his stick caught up in the feet as he's on the pursuit around the net. Um... You know, you'd like to maybe not even see him go behind the net there. That was a penalty. I mean, I think you had to call that. That was blatant. That was like in your face. That was an in your face tripping. There's nothing you could do if you're the refs. You have to call that. And I think if if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, if Charlie McAvoy was turning around, was skating behind the Bruins net, and let's say uh, Felino, you know, got his stick in the feet of McAvoy on the pursuit and took him down like that, I think the whole place would be going bananas, saying you got to call that penalty. Uh, so I think if the shoe was in the other foot, if the skate was in the other foot, I think we'd be saying you got to call that. So I, it was blatant. That was penalty. And Columbus made him pay, and they scored in double overtime. And now the series is tied at one. You got game three on Tuesday night, so we will have both the Celtics and the Bruins on Tuesday night. Uh... That game is going to be Game 3, Bruins-Columbus in Columbus, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. But I I love the physicality in this series. And and you don't... I'm not seeing it in other... I'm not seeing this in other series. At least some of the series I'm watching. I didn't really see it in the San Jose-Columbus series. This type of physicality. Dallas-St. Louis, I tell you what, I watched the Dallas-St. Louis game. I've been watching a a lot of Dallas. Not so much St. Louis, but I've seen a lot of Dallas because I watched a lot of that Dallas-Nashville series in the first round. Right now, it's Dallas and St. Louis, that series tied at one in the second round. Dallas and St. Louis. Um, It's just like the high slot, the slot in both teams' defensive ends, it's just there for the taking. Like, there is no defense being played in this series. You, the Bruins should hope if it's Dallas or St. Louis, I'm telling you right now, the Bruins might sweep those teams. Yeah, I don't know that you could say the same about San Jose, even maybe not even so much Colorado. I, I just, what I see from Dallas and St. Louis, I'm like, man, I think the Bruins would, you know, they would just be more physical than these teams. They would dominate that uh, area out front of the net. And I just think you could see the Bruins sweep. Obviously, you got to get by Columbus first. But but you look at the physicality. I do not see that type of physicality in other series. The Bruins and Blue Jackets, you know, they have that physicality right now. I think one thing the Bruins need to stop doing, and this seems like a simple solution, easier said than done, is stop turning the puck over in their own zone. There's way too many turnovers in their own zone. And there have been a lot of times that Tuca has bailed them out. Tuca has bailed his defenseman out when it comes to turnovers. And in the past, I think you could look at series that Bruins lose. And I think you, over the last, you know, 10 years, even more than that, you could, you could point to turnovers in your own zone. And that's what will ultimately kill you in these playoffs. But, you know, you can, you can, if you have the goaltender that can stand on his head and bail you out, which the Bruins have right now, then, uh, you know, you could still survive some of those turnovers, but you need to limit them moving forward, all right? And I think that's the key for the Bruins. Um, and then it's really, because at some point, I do think, I mentioned, I haven't really liked what I've seen out of Bergeron. I don't think he's had a good playoffs. I don't. It's just the eye test that I have. Like, I'm not used to him. 
uh, making some of the mistakes he's made in the defensive zone. I've seen him not cover guys he's supposed to. Like, I, I haven't seen this from Bergeron. I, I, I don't remember feeling this way about Bergeron, especially in the playoffs ever, where I sit here and go, he's got to be better. I, and, and I think he, he will be better. You know, I think, you know, you're waiting for Pasternak to maybe get something going in this series. DeBrusque gets something going in this series. Krejci gets something going in this series. I think they will. For the most part, a lot of the big Bruins goals have come from uh, the third and the fourth lines. And that's not a bad thing. You have to roll four lines. I shouldn't say you have to. I should say that it is... A huge advantage if you get scoring out of your bottom six forwards in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and that's what the Bruins are getting, and they're not just getting scoring, they're getting big goals from these kids. And, uh, you know, I I think it can maybe, that's what can keep you alive in these playoffs while maybe you see some struggle from your top two lines. But at some point, you know, the Bruins got to get those guys going. I think they will. You saw the Riley Nash situation. He got buried early on in game two by Zdeno Ochara. Uh, I thought they could have called that. I thought they could have called that a penalty. I'm glad they didn't. I, I think there was... I think everybody in the building, everybody in the league knew what was happening there. Riley Nash had, a, had an open ice hit on Krejci that you could maybe go, eh, you know, that was questionable. Bruins had some some good comments for Nash after after that game. And then Shower made him pay early on. Obviously was seeking it out and, and to, you know, to get that retaliation, but they let it slide. And, um, you know, the physicality in the series has been great to watch, but I, I think that the Bruins, I, I'm, I'm used to I'm used to seeing them win. We're used to seeing them win those battles and, and come out on top, and they should. They should beat Columbus. I know Columbus swept Tampa Bay, but who would, don't overthink this. Who would you rather play, the eight seed or the one seed? Don't overthink it. You'd rather play the eight seed. And this is a matchup that you should want. But Columbus, you know, um... Panarin, you see what he can do with the puck on his stick. He's a special player. He's a special goal scorer. And uh, they're trying to match the Bruins' physicality right now. The Bruins take this thing to Columbus. I think if they can just win one in Columbus, I think they'll be in great shape. I don't think they have to go in and win two, but you have to go in and win one. You don't have to win two, but you you, you should be able to win one and then bring it back home for game five. I'm still taking the Bruins to win this series, but I, I won't lie. I'm a little concerned with how Bergeron looks. And I am impressed with Columbus's ability to match the physicality from the Bruins in this series. But um, also the goaltending from both sides has been fantastic. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that series and I will react accordingly. <clears throat> and then, um, yeah, I will be back on Thursday to react to the Bruins game three on Tuesday night and to react to the Celtics game two. On Tuesday night. So Tuesday night, we got a busy night watching both of those teams. And then, of course, while we're watching the playoffs, while we're paying attention to the NFL draft, we are also <laughs> watching the Red Sox. Um, it's tough to watch the Red Sox. It is. Not just because there's a lot of other stuff going on that's a little more meaningful right now. But it's tough to watch the Red Sox because they suck. They get rained out on Friday night. And that gets bumped to a doubleheader. When are they going to play that? In June or July? At some point in the summer, they're going to play that doubleheader uh, at Fenway against Tampa Bay. But they play on Saturday. They play on Sunday. They lose both of these games. But I think the more concerning one was once again losing a game in which Chris Sale is on the mound, in which Chris Sale lets up a big home run early, lets up another RBI double, or was it a triple, later on in the game. And I know there were some errors there were a couple errors along the way, right, um, that maybe kept some innings alive. But but you know what? Chris Sale, even after an error, you know, d- you know, don't give up the big triple or the big double. You know, don't give up the leadoff, leadoff double to begin the game. Don't give up the home run on a 92-mile-per-hour fastball middle in. Like, don't, don't give me the errors. Chris Sale is the type of guy that even after an error, he should be able to get out of a jam. We are still waiting for Chris Sale to give us this signature Chris Sale outing, and it's not coming. And it's, I mean, it's got to be the most concerning thing on this team. 
I don't care what you say about anything else. You can point to a guy's low batting average or a guy's low OPS or, or um, you know, the fact that, I mean, maybe other starters could be struggling. Nathan Avaldi's surgery puts him out. I don't care about any of that stuff right now. Chris Sale, this is his team. He's the captain of this team. All right, he gives you seven innings. Um, He allowed four runs, but only two of them were earned. He struck out eight. He threw 111 pitches. After Chris Sale outings, we keep talking about how he's getting closer and closer and closer. Hey, I don't want to hear that anymore. We want to see you get the job done. You know, stop telling us you're getting closer. Stop making steps to get closer and go out and get it done. You know, again, after an error early on, you should be able to get out of a jam. You know, get the strikeout instead of taking a 92-mile-per-hour fastball middle in and have it go into the monster seats. That's not the Chris Sale we know. I don't care if there was an error before that or not. I don't care if there was an error before the double or not. Whenever the error was, it doesn't matter. Don't give me all the, you know, only two of the runs were earned. We're waiting for seven shutout innings from Chris Sale. Errors or not, get out of the jam. You just signed a huge contract. Um, This is your team. The, the Red Sox could go win three straight now. You know, they could win four straight and then get to Chris Sale's next start. And if he lets up four or five runs in six or seven innings and they lose the game... We're going to be sitting there going, eh, they're not back yet. The Red Sox will not, it will not feel to me at least like they are back until Chris Sale gives us a signature dominant performance and he can tell us all he wants that he's closer and closer and closer. You just got to go do it. And until he does it, this is going to be a tough season to watch. The Red Sox are 11-17 and entering now a series against Oakland at home as they wrap up this 10-game homestand, and it has not been a good one. You know, you split the four-game series with Detroit, you get rained out on Friday, and you lose two to Tampa, and on top of it, Chris Sale has not been, you know, again, has not been Chris Sale. So uh, until that changes, this Red Sox team, it is going to be a nightmare. 11-17, and again, that's the record. Too early to look at the standings, I get it, but they're in the basement right now, in the division, in the AL East. And uh, it's 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 time. I don't I don't know what it is. You know, the velocity was not where I thought it should have been at times in his latest outing over the weekend. But man, something's got to change with Chris Sale. He's got to be dominant. Oh, this Red Sox team is just—they're really—they're <laughs> going to be in trouble. I think for a majority of this season. So whatever the Red Sox do in this series against Oakland, I'll react to it along with the playoff stuff along with any other news that we might have in the NFL or anything that happens in the world of sports. Get this show whenever you want at Podcast One, also on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are available. Also on my website, dannypicard.com. Follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Danny Picard. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. I will be back on Thursday. Talk to you then.